Second Chronicles chapter 29, we've been in that for a couple of weeks. We're going to move on beyond where we were. We're dealing with like the first oh, 18 verses or so. And we're going to start with verse 18 and move on from there today. So, Second Chronicles 29, verse 18. Then they went into King Hezekiah and reported, We have purified the entire temple of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, the table for setting out the consecrated bread and all its articles. We have prepared, consecrated all the articles that King Ahaz removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. They are now in front of the Lord's altar. Early the next morning, King Hezekiah gathered the city officials together and went up to the temple of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven male lambs, seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary of Fort Judah. The king commanded the priests and the descendants of Aaron to offer these on the altar of the Lord. And so they slaughtered the bulls and the priests took the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. And next they slaughtered the rams and sprinkled their blood on the altar. Then they slaughtered the lambs and sprinkled their blood on the altar. The goats for the sin offering were brought before the king and the assembly and they laid their hands on them and the priests then slaughtered the goats and presented their blood on the altar for a sin offering to atone for all of israel because the king had ordered the burnt offering and the sin offering for all of israel and he stationed the levites in the temple of the lord with the cymbals harps and lyres and a way prescribed by david and gad the king seer and nathan the prophet this was commanded by the lord through his prophets and so the levites stood ready with david's instruments and the priests with their trumpets and hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar as an offering began singing to the lord began also accompanied by trumpets and instruments of david king of israel and the whole assembly bowed in worship while singers sang and the trumpeters play all this continued until the sacrifice of burnt offering was completed and when the offerings were finished the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshiped the king hezekiah and his officials ordered the levites to praise the lord with the words of david and asaph the seer and so they sang praises with gladness and bowed their heads and worshiped and then hezekiah said you have now dedicated yourselves to the lord come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the lord so the assembly brought sacrifice and thank offerings and all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings the number of burnt offerings in the assembly brought was seven seventy bulls a hundred rams two hundred male lambs all of them for burnt offerings to the lord the animals consecrated as sacrifices amounted to six hundred bulls three thousand sheep and goats the priests however were too few to skin all the burnt offerings and so their kinsmen the levites helped them until the task was finished and until the priests had been consecrated for the levites had been more conscientious in consecrating themselves than the priests had been there were burnt offerings in abundance together with the fat of the fellowship offerings, the drink offerings accompanied by the burnt offerings. And so the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. I just keep that open because we'll be going through that here this morning. In fact, today I'm going to just jump right in, going to go from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds or a little less uh, instead of kind of that gradual transition. So if you're new here, don't always jump in quite this way. This is part two. I just want to say if you've got seat belts, now would be the time to put them on. You may recall last week, that I had made the statement even the week before that, that it can be a problem. One of the problems in churches today is that our churches are full of good Christians. I talked a little bit about that last week and before, but here's one of the reasons I said that. 
that one of the greatest problems that we can have is that we're full of good Christians because all too often, at best, when the world looks at us, they see people who are good and religious, but not necessarily people who are dramatically different than themselves. That's the way it was for me. It's the way it was for me even as I started to attend and, and to be a part of a church. I, the people who were there, those, especially those who were my age, as far as I was concerned, that just confirmed to me that just like them, I too was a good Christian. Except for one problem. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't going to be with God in heaven. And their lives did not present an example that made me think differently. Fortunately, the word of God helped to clarify as I opened, as I began to read and look at that and, and, and hear about it to understand that this being good was never going to be good enough. It's just not possible. And I was able to step across that line. But what happens is, even, even if we're a little better, even if we're a little better than, than they are, they still see good Christians as good people who are religious. Have you ever got that? You know, we're not significantly different other than we're religious and they're not. We're not living in an all-out way where they see the reality of Jesus. They see our religiousness, which I know they misunderstand and all that kind of stuff. But if we really were living all out as Jesus called us to, would they not see him? Instead, all too often, the best only ends up being that we prove how good a religion that we've got, not how great a relationship we have. And God can make a real difference. Uh, are, are we truly salty? As Matthew chapter 5 talks about, are we salty in a way where we are with others and they are thirsty for Jesus? Are we light, as Matthew says, are we light in such a way that draws people to the true Son of God? Or they want to see something because they see a life that is sold out to him? Or are we living a life that's just okay as a Christian, that we're a good Christian? And then they say, well, that's good for you, but it's not really good for me. I mean, I, 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 I can see it's good for you. I mean, you're a good person and all that. And I can see that's good, but you know, it's not really for me. Jesus wants more than good Christians and the world needs more than good Christians to be able to see. He's calling for devoted disciples that reflect a commitment that's not just all out that we talked about last week. And if you missed that, that's part one. You may want to catch that. You're not going to miss out on anything major this morning because of that. But just the next step here is we talked about last week. He's also looking for a commitment that is all in. There is more. There is more in Jesus. And let's not settle for a life that's just good. Let's choose to make a life that is the very best for God. And, that, that, and when I say that, I'm not saying the way some people talk about is you need to make the very best version of yourself. No. Don't try to make the very best version of yourself. That's not what this is about. It's about 
the very best that we can be with Christ in us. Him shining through us. Not us trying to polish up ourselves and look better. But that we in such a way reflect Christ. All out, all in. And let's not forget, as it deals with this message today, and and all that we've talked about, this is not something we can do purely in our own human grit and determination. We're going to talk about being all in. But it's not about our grit and our determination only. That's not really where it's going to get you. It's not going to work. We'll only get frustrated and feel like quitting. There's more, but we're going to have to get to that next week. That's why you really need to hear that next week. I'm not trying to get you to come here next week. What I'm trying to say is if you don't hear next week, you'll just walk away feeling frustrated today. But here's what it is. It's about what God is looking for. Let me just put that up there. God is looking for devoted disciples that are all in. That's what we've been talking about. And the first point, let us strive for an all-in surrender. Let us strive for an all-in surrender. In our passage that we've been studying, God's house, more importantly, God himself in the first 17 verses here, has been neglected for years. And last week we saw that Hezekiah came along and went all out, all out in his pursuit of getting things ready for God quickly. Uh, Not just getting things cleaned up in the house of God, but making things good, restoring, getting people back together with God, pressing in closer to his presence. We see that in verse 20 and 24 that we read here. uh, As they were doing these things, they got it all together. They had it. Things were good. But Hezekiah is like, hey, you did all that, but we're not done yet. We're just getting started here. This has only just begun. We are not done until we are all in. All the way with God. Verses 25 and 26 in our passage. We read, He stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, lyres, and prescribed by David the uh, Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord and the prophets. And so the Levites stood ready with David's instruments, priests, and trumpets. You know, it it hadn't been this way. But from this point on, Hezekiah was saying that we're going to have a fresh start here. God's house is going to be open for business. Praise was not only going to fill this place, but was going to fill God's ears. And it hadn't for a long time. Glorify Him. And, And this was all good as we read in Hezekiah. Hezekiah in verse 27, right before I stopped there. Hezekiah gave the order of the sacrifice to burn offerings on the altar. As the offerings began, singing of the Lord began, accompanied by trumpets and instruments of David. The whole assembly bowed in worship and sang, and the trumpeters played, and all this continued until the sacrifice of burnt offering was completed. They weren't just trying to clean up their act. They weren't just trying to get right and do right. They were going all out but more than that there needed to be an all in kind of surrender and see that's what takes place they got all this stuff they did the offerings of hezekiah it talks about in verse 30 order levites to praise the lord and so they sang praise with gladness and bowed their heads and worshiped you think about as you look at the passage here and you read verse 30 it could just stop right there 
And it would have been good. Way more than not only whatever was, but way more than what probably anybody expected was going to happen. But there was more. In verse 31, then Hezekiah said, they had all this worship, they had all the sacrifices already happened right before this. But then, verse 31, Hezekiah said, you have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. And so the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. Here they were. They'd already gotten to the point of going beyond where they had been before. They they were really doing good and and doing everything that they should do. They sought forgiveness from God. And the verses before this, the sacrifices that they brought, were finding God's forgiveness. But that was really more for the kingdom and more for uh, the the nation, if you will, but not individuals. But now, in verse 32 and on... They went above and beyond the basics, above and beyond what was expected, beyond just being okay, beyond just being a good believer. And what a good believer is supposed to do, they did not settle for less. They went for the best, all in, with an attitude that says, what's the most that I can do? What's the most? Not what do I have to do, not what should I do, what do I need to do to get things back to where they should be? No. What is the most, even more, all in? What makes theirs and our commitment all in is that it goes beyond, beyond what we should be doing. It goes above and beyond. And I know we use that phrase, to go above and beyond. The reality is there's really no such thing as going above and beyond in this case. Because what Jesus has asked of us is to be all in, all out. Here, 100%. Jesus is asking 100%. If you really are given 100%, there is no above and beyond. I know we talk about 110%, but the reality is that 110% was never really 100 to begin with, if that's what it is. Really, he's just asking what we should be. Not, not somehow, oh, if you're really a special Christian or you really want to get into it, it's extra. No, what he's asking of everybody is all in, 100% surrender, to hold nothing back, our whole heart, soul, mind, strength, a total surrender of all our lives, all in for God. Uh, I know some might be thinking, talking about the word surrender, and to you that word has a negative connotation like surrender in battle. You know, you wave the white flag, you give up. I, I just I, I can't defeat this superior power, a superior force. So I just give up. I just surrender. Now, that kind of surrender is forced upon you. The kind of surrender we're talking about here, to God, is voluntary, willing choice that we make. It's not something we're forced to. It's not something that God somehow pushes us or uses His, his superior forces God to make us. It is a choice we each have to make to give it all over to Jesus as a fully devoted disciple as if there was any other kind. This surrender ultimately is more than just about giving over all that we have. It is giving over all that we are because we're really not our own. It all comes from God. In fact, 
as a believer, our very own lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us. This is a surrender of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, of not just our treasure and things, but those people that we treasure. We bring before Him all. Surrendering all means our dreams, our, our hopes, our wishes, our Whatever it is that we thought our life was going to be, that we wanted our life to be, what we were hoping for and looking for, we surrender it all to Him. All in is the only way that it works. We give it all up to be all in, which is really what Jesus is talking about when He says, whoever wants to save his life must lose it. That life that you wanted, that life that you're thinking about, to all in, surrender it. If we want to save our life, we've got to lose it. Ultimately, surrender goes beyond just giving over to the point that we give in to His control. Which means to surrender all, we have to let go of controlling all. Things that we're holding on to tightly to. It can be the big picture things or it could just be little things in life. Because there is only room for one on the throne of your life. There's not room for two. There is only room for one. You may recall Jesus saying in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes to that door and opens, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And we talk about that verse. Not only uh, oftentimes for those who don't know Christ, the reality is it was written to the church for those who do know Christ to invite him in and understanding that when we invite Jesus in, when he's knocking at the door, he does not want to come in to just be a visitor. He's not standing at the door knocking to come in to visit. He's also not standing at the door to come in and be a permanent guest in your house. He is standing at the door and knocking so that he could come in and be the owner of the house. The Lord, the master, the boss over all of our life. And the thing is, is when we make that decision to go all in so that Jesus is the boss of all... It makes a lot of other decisions in life easier. How, how can that be? Well, for one, he's already given us an instruction manual about how to make a lot of decisions. Make things easier. You know, it's possible to think that we are religious, good Christians, and yet not ever truly bow our knee in total, complete surrender to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As our boss. That's what Jesus has come. To be the boss. To call all the shots. You cannot say you want Jesus as Savior. But you do not want to follow him as Lord. That makes no sense. That's not what he said. Yes God so loved the world. Each and every one of us. That he gave the gift of his son. It is an amazing grace. That he offers all of us. But it is not an easy believism that all you got to do is say a 30-second prayer and ask God to forgive you and you're good to go. I like what Mark Batterson says, grace costs nothing, but it demands everything. Grace costs nothing, but it demands everything. 
You know, really what it comes down to is that Jesus' unconditional love is calling us to come and follow while we make the unconditional commitment to deny and die. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this scriptures like this one. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. Calls us to that. Just in case that's not really clear, we go to the next one. And Jesus, this is in Matthew Later in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is all in. Surrender to him. And he said it multiple times. In fact, he said it, in Mark, he said it in Luke twice. And these are just some of the things he said. I mean, not all is recorded. You know, John talks about if everything could be written of what Jesus said and did. But what we have here, what we have here is Jesus. It's not some obscure verse somewhere said something once about this. Although, understand, if Jesus said it once, that's all he really needs to. But here it is. Numerous times. And not just numerous times like you're saying, well, it's in all those Gospels and they each just recorded the same thing. No, because in two of the Gospels, it's mentioned twice. He said it often to people. This is what it means to follow me. Anyone, everyone. This is the word to anyone and everyone. In fact, at the very end there in Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple it's a call that is for all you know it's not just a one-time thing in fact earlier one of those verses in luke 9 says let's not do it daily we're to do this daily in fact daily is not enough sometimes we need to surrender each hour each minute perhaps even each second So based on what Jesus asks us in those verses, are we followers? Are you truly a follower of Jesus? And we say, well, uh, of course. I I remember the day, I remember the day that I met Jesus, so to speak, that I committed my life to Christ. I asked him to forgive my sins. I turned from those sins and I, I turned to him to be my savior. And, And Jesus came into my life and I know that was real. But being a Christian is not just taking Jesus as Savior, it's taking Him as Lord. And I'm concerned that there are those who have knelt down and asked Jesus to forgive them and be their Savior and then stood up and asked Jesus to come and follow them and help Him with their life. Instead of the fact that it was Jesus who said to us, Come and follow me. We got way too many people living the Christian life that Jesus is, they think Jesus is following them and is there to help them. He said, follow me. And this is what it means to do that. 
Perhaps long ago we took up our cross that we were walking with in a surrendered life. But the reality is somewhere we just kept walking in a good religious way. It seemed okay. In fact, it seemed better than some of the other Christians just saw in churches. But the reality is you dropped your cross somewhere back there. Living as a good Christian more for ourselves though, than for our Savior. In many ways, Jesus is not calling us to anything that he himself did not already make the way through. Think about it. In a very real sense, he surrendered heaven for this earth, his divine form for a human form. We're not going to look at it this morning just at the time, but I encourage you to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, as it talked about what Jesus did and all that he gave up. He gave in. He gave over everything. He, the creator of life, gave up his life. A surrender life that led to sacrifice. It should not seem out of place then that he asks us to surrender, to follow him. A strive for an all-in surrender, but keep moving on to the next point, to strive for an all-in sacrifice. And I want us to catch this because the first point about surrender is really about an attitude. It is a choice, a decision, but it's an attitude that you continue to live with. It's not just a one-time choice. This second point has to do with an action in sacrifice. We can't just make a decision that we're going to have this all-in surrender and follow Jesus if we don't follow through with real-life action. Otherwise, it's not really a commitment to anything. We say we're committed, but we never do anything. It doesn't change our life. It's nothing. How is that a commitment? To what? If all we do is just think about it, but don't do. It's like James talks about, listen, don't just talk it, walk it. As we look at our passage here in 2 Chronicles 29, these are definitely not the people that Jesus would have spoken about in like Mark 7, where he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. No, far from it in in their worship and all that they were doing, their offerings that they're coming. They praise, they sing praises with gladness and bowed their heads and worship. It wasn't just a bunch of singing that was happening right here. It wasn't just a bunch of, of, you know, singing songs and worship, people like getting excited about that. It was sincere hearts. But more than that, it wasn't just an attitude. There was an action, an action that we see in verse 31. You have now dedicated yourselves. Come, bring sacrifices and thank offerings. And so the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings whose hearts were willing, brought burnt offerings. There was an action. There was sacrifice that was involved in their all-in devotion to God. They surrendered. They did what was right. They did what was required. They did what was needed. But when you get to verse 31... When he's saying to them, come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings. At this point on, that's completely up to them. From this point on, they did what was right. They did what was needed. They did the sacrifices, the burnt offerings that needed to be for their sins and for their forgiveness. They did what was needed to get that temple worship up and going and really glorifying God. They did the good things, but there was more that they could do with a surrendered heart 
sacrificial action. There was more. More of God that they they could experience and bless Him in an all-out commitment. And that's when they went from not just the good to better, but to the best. With sacrifices and thank offerings. Like I said, those earlier ones that took place were for the community, the kingdom, and all these. But now these new offerings, sacrifices, these were personal. And not all necessary or required, but some, and not even something that was required for their forgiveness. Many of these sacrifices they were bringing was out of love and holiness. They offered above and beyond what already was offered. So much so, this outpouring of sacrifice overwhelmed the priests and Levites had to assist them. People were all in. And it wasn't because they had to. It's because they wanted to. Verse 32, the number of burnt offerings the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 male lambs, all of them for burnt offerings to the Lord. The animals consecrated as sacrifices amounted to 600 bulls, 3,000 sheep, and goats. The priests, however, were too few to skin all the burnt offerings, so the kinsmen, the, their kinsmen, the Levites, helped them until the task was finished, and other priests had been consecrated, for the Levites had been more conscientious and consecrated themselves than the priests. They were burnt offerings in abundance together with the fat of fellowship offerings, drink offerings, and accompanied the, they accompanied the burnt offerings. This was not out of duty or what was right. This was out of desire to please God. Not to get something from God, but to give something to God as they brought the sacrifice. This hadn't happened in years. But they weren't making up for lost years. Because there was this attitude already of all in that brought about an action, a sacrifice. Now, uh, one of the words you notice that's used here is a burnt offering. One of the things that took place, not only before, but even in these new offerings they were bringing personally, were burnt offerings, which were a common sacrifice. It was a sacrifice that happened every morning and evening. It was a sacrifice that happened for a variety of reasons, for the whole and for the individual's. And really, when one brought this burnt offering, it was not a spectator sport type of thing. You were participating. If you read, they didn't have enough, and the, and the Levites had to help them. The Levites had to help them skin it. That's what they would do. They would skin the animal, but then the whole animal was put on. There was a lot more to it. I'm not going to get into it, but a lot more to what had to be done. And the person who brought the offering had to do a lot of that. They were involved in this sacrifice they were bringing they presented themselves to the lord in surrender recognizing the significance of what they were doing with this burnt offering some burnt offerings for sin but not every burnt offering was for sin there was burnt offering was a way to express thanks and praise and so this 31 verse 31 new burnt offering that was made for many, was not, it was not a sacrifice for forgiveness. It was just a sacrifice of praise. But here's the real key to what a burnt offering is, and this is what we need to understand as it applies to our life as devoted disciples that are all in, in a kind of sacrificial kind of life that we should live. In fact, I think it says in verse uh, 
28. All, as you read in verse 28, the whole assembly bowed in worship while the singers sang and the trumpeters played. All this continued until the sacrifice of the burnt offering was completed. Now, you got to understand, the sacrifice of the burnt offering wasn't completed until it was not just burnt, like something, you know, your new wife does with the pot roast. It wasn't done until it was burnt up, all of it, gone. Burnt completely. These people didn't just kind of worship and then, well, once we kind of threw them all on there and did it, we're done. No, they stayed until it was completed, until there was nothing left. Ashes was completely burnt up on the altar, nothing left. Symbolic in many ways, but one of the ways symbolic of totally surrendering our lives to God. Nothing left. Everything. Not just the bad and the ugly in our life that we think, well, we need to give that to God and let Him take care of it and help, but the good in our life. A sacrifice that was a choice, a willing sacrifice, that everything, all in, completely burnt. Nothing left. Verse 35. We see in verse 35, there were burnt offerings in abundance together with the fat of fellowship offerings, drink offerings, and accompanied the burnt offerings. An incredible amount of all in, giving their best above and beyond the basic sacrifice. While there may have been in times past, that, like in Solomon's day, where they had more than these amount of animals and all that come... I'm not sure, and and I don't know. But I have to wonder whether this really, percentage-wise, is one of the greatest offerings of sacrifice, true sacrifice, that happened. Because remember, in Solomon's time when they were doing all this, things were good in the country. Everybody was happy. All was, you know, going good. Well, you look earlier in chapter 29 here, and some of us have read that, you recognize things were not happy, including God. And things were bad. The country was in bad shape, economically and otherwise. People didn't have a whole lot, and things God was not for them, but against them and what was going on. And so here they are in a time where they really didn't have a lot, where things were, really weren't going good, and yet they still made the sacrifice. Because sometimes you hear people saying, well, I'll really go out for God when, when I can get some of this mess in my life kind of figured out and get things going a little better in my life and things are good and then not. No. This is when things were going probably at their worst and they said, listen, I surrender. And in that surrender, I will sacrifice all. Bring that before Him. What is it that we give to bring to Him? You know, some people say, well, I know I shouldn't just look at what's the least I can give, but really it's just working on, and my sacrifice to God is I just give what I can. I just give a sacrifice of what I can. What does that mean, what I can? Usually what that means is what I want to, not what I can. Not what Jesus talked about, 
Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Whose pursuit of God is all in surrender, all in sacrifice? Is it us? Or do we settle for a good enough, okay sacrifice? Although at its core, there's no way that a sacrifice can be okay, that, that or good enough, that doesn't even the definition. A sacrifice should be something that costs us. David talked about that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. As it was coming and they were going to do an offering there, the, the uh, whole thing's being restored, finding the Ark of the Covenant and all that kind of stuff. But basically, David replied to Aruna, no, who was just going to give him the, the animal to sacrifice. He said, no, I insist in paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offering. Notice, a burnt offering that costs me nothing. I will not sacrifice something that is going to completely be taken all in. I will not do an all-in sacrifice that costs me nothing. What are we doing? How are we living? Is it truly all in? The maximum? Or are we settling for less? One of the ways that we can say we're sacrificing is with our time, our talents, our material resources and money, denying ourselves to follow Jesus like he asks. Uh, although, again, are we really sacrificing if it's all his? Are we really sacrificing when we compare trying to follow him and what he did for us already? Do we really live a life of sacrifice for God? For some, it's especially difficult to get up early on a Sunday morning and come here. That might be some of you. We're glad you're here. You know, you, you don't. You probably don't tell the pastor those things. Uh, that's okay. Okay. But you know, it's like. It, and I'm not trying to get legalistic here. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip. What I'm trying to do is by talking about being here or on a Sunday morning, being here, it's just to get practical about what we're talking about, surrendering, about sacrificing all in. All right? I just want to make sure that you understand that. We've got to put the Word of God to feet to it. We've got to have something to say in action. And so this is one of the real-life situations, just at a very basic level, we gather together to worship God. We gather together for discipleship. But at a very basic level, this is our connection with the body of Christ, all of which is obeying the word of God and what it says, not giving up the habit of meeting together, or not giving up meeting together summer in the habit of doing as it says in Hebrews chapter 10. So I, I know, I know, I know. And, and I, I do. It's a sacrifice I get up, but man, don't. There's no way I'm getting up at 9 o'clock for Kingdom Builders. You know, they, oh, even though Monday morning you have to be at work at 9. And, well, I, I don't, no, no, uh, yeah, I do, and I am, but, you know, this is my weekend. It's my time to rest. 
been really working hard all week and all that's going on. And, and, and sometimes I got other things that I want to do. After all, I don't have to do this to go to heaven. Exactly. That's exactly the attitude that we're talking about. Living a life that just is about the minimum that I have to do to get to heaven. We talked about it in the previous message. There is nothing you have to do to get to heaven because there's nothing you can do. It's already been done by Jesus. We can't live our life with the minimum but the maximum. We talked about that the goal of the Christian life is not just to get your ticket to heaven. That's not the finish line. That's only the starting line. So a devoted disciple's life should be totally surrendered, which means making sacrifices, which might mean a sacrifice on a Sunday morning of getting up earlier than want to, or just, I'm going to throw this out, a sacrifice of going to bed earlier on Saturday night <laughs> and getting the rest you need. Uh-huh. Well, I'm so tired. I was up to two. Yeah, so was I. I should have called you. I was working on the message. <laughs> you know, and again, I want you to hear my heart. It's not about you got to be in church and all that kind of stuff. It's about living out our Christian life. Real. Sacrifice. All in. What it's about. It's not my weekend. It's not my time to rest. My life is not my own if I am a follower of Jesus Christ. None of it is. This is not about some legalistic rule. It's about love. A love that we're to have for God all out. Not in what I want or what I desire, but what He wants and what He desires. And I can't help but wonder if sometimes the reality is that by our actions we are more devoted followers of our boss at work, our coach, our friends, than we are of Jesus. I'm not making the test of our devotion based on one thing like being here. Don't misunderstand that, but I hope that we're not naive enough to think that we can say our attitude is one of being a devoted disciple to Jesus as number one, and yet our actions don't match up with an all-out, all-in lifestyle for Him. Rather, so many times, Jesus often ends up last on the list if we have time. By the way, for those who it's not hard for you to get up and come in here because you're a morning person or because that's just your habit and that's what you've done and what you'll continue to do, don't take too much pride in that because that's not a sacrifice for you. Right? That's not a sacrifice. Where is your thing that you are not putting on the altar? Each of us has something, more than something probably. Where is your thing that you are not putting in all or perhaps it's serving in them in some way, something you don't want to take the time or the effort to do? Or uh, What is the all-in sacrifice that is a part of our worship for God? That's what it's about. It's not just the Old Testament. We think, oh, we just read Old Testament. So this it applies to us. Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's not just with our lips, but with our life that we worship Him. All in. All or nothing. 
And that happens. You know, D.L. Moody, an all-in worldwide evangelist, had a phrase that sometimes was attributed to him, but really he got from Henry Varley, another evangelist. It says, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to him. And Moody Resolve said, by the grace of God, I will be that man. And in so many ways he was. What God's asking us. There are, are those who are making sacrifices, brothers and sisters in Christ all around this world, that would find it incredulous that we would say, oh, I don't know if I can get up, or I don't know if I'm going to serve, or I, I didn't have time to really spend time with God to pray or uh, have a look at, in His Word. And, you know, just recently this week, there was a story about a Nigerian uh, pastor. And he had apparently made some headlines because he was praising God in a ransom video. Yeah, Reverend Lawan Andimi. He went missing January 3rd following a raid by the Islamic extremist group there in Nigeria. You probably heard of them. And then he was seen in a video calling for Christian leaders, uh, officials to help his release, which included uh, a ransom. And despite the situation, even in the video, he was not discouraged. All conditions one finds himself is the hand of God. He says, by the grace of God, I will to get, be together with my wife and my children and my colleagues if opportunity is granted me. If it has not been granted, maybe it is the will of God. And on Monday, local sources disclosed uh, to ministry partners that he was murdered because he refused to renounce his faith and because they couldn't raise the money for his ransom. But he wasn't the only one. There was a pastor, Dennis Bagari, of the Lutheran Church of Nigeria, a well-known political advocate for Christians, reportedly killed by unknown gunmen in his home. And then there are more. But it's not just there. It's everywhere, all over, that is taking place. Open Doors, which keeps track of this and, and sets uh, Open Doors, an organization that talks about the watch list of, of some of the, the worst places it is. Reports that 260 million Christians experience high levels of persecution in the top 50 countries. For that last year, 9,488 churches or Christian buildings, on an average 25 per day, were attacked during 2019. By comparison, uh, the year before that, 1,266 churches. You know, when we're asked, and Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. These people understand that. But we complain about what we have to sacrifice and let go. And we make it so that really that's for those other Christians. Now, Jesus, if anyone is going to follow me, this is how you live. This is what it needs to be. We can be so busy being good, even doing good, that we neglect the great that we're called to, the great commission, the great commandment to a great God who lives within us. 
Long ago in our history, devoted disciples, uh, as they headed off across the sea for the missions field, packed all their belongings in coffins. In coffins. You've probably heard of Jim Elliott, a missionary who was martyr trying to share Jesus, who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And we know that ultimately he said that, and it was in relation to his very life. And I, and, and this sounds a little weird perhaps to some, but I think for some Christians it's easier to give our actual life than to give our way of living. We're ready to give our life for Jesus. If that's what happens, we'll go be with him. But the way we're living our day-to-day life, surrender, sacrifice. I ask that the worship team would come. We need to have an all-in surrender and sacrifice of fully devoted disciples who in His power can turn this world right side up. That's what is needed. Not just a church full of good Christians. But a church full of followers of Jesus who are all in, all out, devoted to Him. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to make that choice and that decision. We know that that is a decision, an attitude of our heart that needs to be followed through with sacrifices, with following in action. But let it begin today. Let it begin now. Let it begin here. If we've dropped our cross somewhere along the way, may we have ability to truly recognize that we need to go back, pick it up right here, right now and follow you. Help us to make a stand right here, right now in your name.